Uh, so in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Coney Island State Fair was all the rage, all right, and, and for many years afterwards. But in this particular story in the early 1900s, they had exhibits like the tattooed lady, uh, the bearded lady, sword swallowers. They had, I mean, all, you know, this is pre-internet, pre Maybe telephone, I don't know, telegram. Uh, but, you know, there was not a big understanding of the world. So even just bringing people from other countries to these fairs, would, people would drop a quarter in just to go into the tent and be able to see these wonders of the world. Well, as I was reading, you know, in this Stranger Things, and we'll see later we get into the, um, the text, um, one of the exhibits that was quite popular then was miniature living babies, right? And so this is a picture actually from... Uh, from the Coney Island Fair, uh, and people would come, they'd drop in a quarter to come and see these miniature babies in what looks like a cotton candy thing. And so you may hear that story the first time, and you're like, that is awful. You're like, what in the world is going on? Well, as I was Googling the story, I wasn't actually looking for weird, awful things. I was Googling, uh, and what I found in this is actually that man right there is the inventor of the incubator that has saved millions and millions of lives. And actually, as the, the story read, <clears throat> he had invented this device for premature born babies, and the medical field had rejected it. And so in order to allow parents to not have to pay and for him to continue his research, he created the incubator, charged 25 cents to come see these preemie babies that were actually being kept alive. Uh, and then he did that, and many years later, they finally accepted his incubator. And, and it was funny in the story I read, or touching, <laughs> there's a story about the reason it made Reader's Digest or whatever, is a lady came back, and she's telling the story that her dad received the news that she was not going to make it. He wrapped her in a blanket, rushed to Coney Island to this guy, put her in the incubator. She lived and in her 30s came back and was able to meet this guy. Uh, and he was still doing this. I think at that point they still had not accepted this. So I'd have to go back and reread. You, you guys can Google it. Uh, but so, you know, you may think, why in the world would somebody do that? But you look behind the motivations, the intentions, and it's, it's quite good. We got another story here. Um, this man, <clears throat> this story takes place in Indiana in Larry Bird's hometown. All right, that's a little uh, teaser for you guys there on this one. This man ma mailed dead skunks and raccoons to another man in the town. And you may be wondering why. <laughs> it seems a little bit crazy. Well, this one maybe doesn't have quite as earnest of intentions. As it turns out, remember, this is Larry Bird's hometown of Indiana, Hoosiers, right, all that, take their basketball pretty seriously. Well, this guy actually lost out on a job interview for a fourth-grade basketball coaching position, and he sent these to the man who beat him out, <laughs> among other things, if you want to read the article, that weren't necessary to drive home the point that this guy had some very bad intentions and was later arrested for them. This is, like, was in, like, recent news. Like, this week is where I found this. So you guys could find this one easy. Dead skunk. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so that's an interesting one. You know, why did he do that? You know, well, this guy was doing this because uh, he was upset. He was angry. <clears throat> he felt like maybe he was mistreated. Now, this next one, I'm going to apologize in advance. If you want to kind of cue it up uh, there, Ryan, um, I will just say my palms were sweating a little bit, but it's, um, it's fun. So, Anybody's palms sweating yet? Like, oh. 
He's on this star up here on this one. That star? This one really, guys, I think this is the last one. <clears throat> Those are cars down there. Looks like he almost falls. Oh, yeah, this is the last one. Even his friends can't walk. <laughs> All right. It's good enough. It goes on a little more. I'll spare you guys. Uh, to find one that was short enough, that was appropriate <laughs> um, for use here, I had to watch like an hour's worth of those. And uh, those of you who know me, I used to be a rock climber. I've got a great story about jumping off a bridge. And at the end, I literally was like tense and sweating. Like, it's, stuff's uh, crazy. You can go to the next slide, Ryan. Um, so why, why, why would people do this? Well, um, in, in reading up on this, there was actually one that was a news story that I found um, and while some people like myself in high school did it just because we're dumb 17, 18 year olds and I didn't do anything nearly that extreme, um, others, like the, some of the gentlemen in here, the, these guys do this, they make a living out of it off their YouTube channels and all that. And they actually don't view it as um, like, oh, I'm mad at the world or oh, I'm going to get an adrenaline rush. One of the guys being interviewed says, I actually am not scared of heights. When I'm up there, it's all business. I train six days a week in the gym knowing that one mistake could cost me my life, but they, they viewed it really as their profession. So we might look at some of this, and I'm sure some of those are just <laughs> youthful craziness, but, but yet some of them in, in particular, a couple, a couple of those on there, was the same group that this is their profession, that they go out and they do these things, and then they make money off YouTube and other ways to do that, and they take it very seriously. So, uh, you know, interesting, you may, we may ask, why do they do this? And, and yet, uh, some of them have some very serious intentions. They do it for the same reason we get up and go to work every day as well. And then one more. We'll do a softer one to end. Uh, the Salvation Army. Uh, we all know the Salvation Army, the buckets that come out uh, for uh, charity for donations outside of the department stores and the grocery stores. Uh, well, there was an, a widow in Boston that went to one of these and dropped in a wedding ring, and it, uh, a, was a wedding band and engagement ring with a note. Uh, and it basically read, I want to put this in there in honor of my husband. I hope that someone who made way too much or plenty of money this year will pay 10 times what it's worth so that you guys can help more of the needy. And this thing went viral. And if you guys Google this, because I didn't realize this, I found the one story. But when I Googled it, it looks like there's literally hundreds of examples of rings and watches and other things, and letters. And it started a movement. In this particular one, it uh, so moved a person that they put up $21,000 and said, we would like for this lady to come forward and take her ring back because uh, we want her to have it. She never did. Uh, but the motivation for dropping you know, in there was a very earnest one of, hey, you know, this is uh, more important than this memory of my husband would be to help those in need. Uh, so four stories, a little bit different in both their reasoning, their motivations, and their impact. Um, I brought these up just to kind of get us thinking a little bit as we continue on this series on Stranger Things. So as we go, as uh, we've gone through these last few weeks, the first week we did, uh, what was the first week? Bears eating kids. 
<laughs> uh, right? And so that was an interesting story. Uh, if you missed any of these, don't take my byline for it. There's more to it, but it's more sensationalized. Uh, and and the, uh, the end of that was really about, you know, there are ramifications for disobedience, right? And there are blessings for obedience. And, and Brett unpacked that really well. Then the next week, we talked about the fig tree. Is a story of Jesus as he was walking uh, to the end of his ministry, really, about to be uh, betrayed uh, shortly after. And he looked at a, a fig tree and appeared to have a hangry moment, as Brett put it, and just withered it. Uh, I'd always wanted to, poof, you know, it just but later he unpacked and he talked about how Jesus used that to really codify a point in the disciples' minds that he had taught, with them, or taught to them earlier about the inside matters much more than the outside. And it was what he wanted to leave with them, knowing what he was headed to. And then the last one was cooking with poop. And uh, this was the one we heard about last week with uh, Ezekiel being asked to lay on one side for over a year. And then he had to cook food over cow manure in the middle of the market. And he was doing this very embarrassing and awful thing at the command of God to try and uh, have them hear from God, the, the people of Israel to hear from God. And, and the big takeaway from that really was, how far would you go to tell the people you love what God wants them to hear? And so this week, we, the passage we have is going to be about Paul's handkerchief or Paul's napkin. It's going to be in Acts 19. If you want to turn there, we'll be there here in just a minute. Uh, and really what, what we're going to settle on today is why do we do the things that we do? All right, so we saw several stories, picked these just to kind of to get us all going. We saw a story of a person that maybe on the outside looked like an awful way to capitalize on others' misfortunes uh, and objectify, marginalize babies. But in the end, it was actually a very creative effort that's changed our world. We saw an example of guys that look like they're just... Uh, and maybe some of them were misguided teenagers that are with a death wish, but others that have just found a way uh, in their country and with what, the, what they have to make a living. Uh, and we've seen examples of people giving money anonymously and not even when they're offered, hey, come get this back. What you had hoped to accomplish, you know, more money for the needy has been given, right? Chose, no, it wasn't really about that. I, I you know, the movements, what, what she, she was really looking for, the earnestness of, hey, I want to give this and and, and see more and more good come from that. So we've seen a lot of different actions uh, and a lot of different motives behind those. And today we're going to dig in and we're going to see a story, a stranger story. Um, but then in the end, we'll dig into that and, and really examine this question of why do we do the things we do. Uh, before we jump in, how many people here have seen Stranger Things? I, over-assuming that everybody understands why this set keeps growing each, each week. Who's seen this? Man, okay, so it's not, how many people know what it is? All right, because I think a lot of us are 80s kids. If you're an 80s kid, raise your hand. Yeah, right, right. Any, I mean, come on, we all lived it. We may have been young or old, but we were all in the 80s, right? All right, kid could be, kid could be 5 to 18, right? You're still a kid. All right, well, anyways, uh, my wife and I, we watch that show with our kids. It's, it's a great, so this set has, has a, a, an intentionality behind it. They did a great job on the set. Um, so, all right, so let's jump into the text here. I just put it on the screen. Oh, before we do, I want to set it up, and then we'll get into it. So <clears throat> what I've always tried to do as I, I'm reading the Bible is, is try and understand where it fits in as opposed to having these isolated stories. So if you'll bear with me for a second, I want to, I spent some time this week trying to, to make sure to understand the before and after on this so that when we jump into the story, we kind of know where it sits in God's big story throughout the Bible and that's still going on today. 
So as we all know, in the Old Testament, right, we had the God created the world, then sin fell, we were cast out, and then that began a series of Noah's Ark and a bunch of other stories that we've all heard about. But all these stories were really meant for God to reveal himself to us through a people, the Jews, the Israelites, so we could understand his character, right? And we can, a lot of times when we read the Old Testament in particular, we want to put ourselves in the place of the Israelites and see how they react to God, their creator. And we unfortunately see ourselves in their actions a lot. Well, that goes on for quite a while. They have prophets, judges, which we just learned about uh, in the 11 o'clock service over the last few months. Um, and then ultimately through to kings. They had King Saul, King David, uh, and then the nation is divided. We heard about that last week. That's uh, where that story of Ezekiel took place that uh, Brett talked about. Uh, and there's a series of prophets that are coming basically trying to warn the Israelites. Again, that could be us too. Warn, warn them for, for the way they are um, sinning against their father, against their creator. Uh, and then ultimately they're pointing to Jesus. So then John the Baptist comes in the New Testament in the Gospels. He foretells of Jesus. And then well, a lot of us, sure all of us, we've read the Gospels. So we know Jesus had uh, three years of ministry with the apostles and then ultimately goes and willingly dies for our sins but then conquers death when he's raised on the third day, Easter. Well, then after that, right, this is where we start to pick up uh, in the story we're going to get into today. So after he rises from the dead, right, Jesus spent 40 days on earth, right? He ate and drank and talked and interacted with both the apostles and many other people. And at the end of that 40 days is where Acts begins, right? So in Acts, the first chapter, it's his farewell uh, before he ascends. So he basically says, hey, guys, I'm leaving, Told you so. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't say it that way, but basically, that I've now, uh, it all has become known to you guys. I'm promising you it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then he gives them the Great Commission, says, Go out and make disciples. He ascends into heaven. All right. And then after that, it, I Googled it. It's about 10 days later, is what people, at least the sites I looked at, uh, said uh, is when Pentecost occurs. And at Pentecost, all right, they say the Holy Spirit falls down like lightning. If you read through that, it's so loud that it said it was in a city center. People from all over came together because they heard this sound, right? It wasn't like a, right? The Holy Spirit didn't come in like a, like a wind or something. No, it was, it, it, the Bible, the way it describes it, it was a loud noise, all right? And when it does, it hits the apostles, and all of them begin speaking in tongues. They begin speaking and uh, proclaiming the gospel, and then the folks there are saying, oh, they must be drunk and whatever, and then they're like, we're not drunk, for it's early in the morning, and, and then they're all amazed because they're like, hey, we're hearing them speak in our own language, but aren't these all Galileans? And so that is the first kind of setup for where we're going to be at here is now the apostles, the disciples that are on the earth have been given power by God, by Jesus, through the Holy Spirit to do miraculous signs for the purpose of, of spreading his word. So then there's a lot that goes on. I won't go through all of that, but there's basically, this is the first century church, right? So there's 3,000, believe at Pentecost. Later, Peter's walking in the temple and he heals someone and then he preaches a sermon and 5,000 people believe and follow Jesus. And of course, just like Jesus experienced, there's great persecution that now these disciples and apostles are experiencing uh, because the religious leaders of the day do not like the attention and the story the truth that's being told by these apostles. Uh, so down the road, uh, the church is scattered. Uh, there's great persecution. And you guys know, may know Saul, who then later becomes Paul. He basically is what we might refer to as a terrorist, who's the one out there rounding up Christians and having them crucified and killed and put in jail. And um, later God converts him, and he becomes the missionary basically to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles is us, right? It's a non-Jew. And so as I was reading through this this week, it was just kind of a reminder, just a, 
Smile, because so much of the Bible we read, it's, it's focusing on the Israelites and the set-apart people, right? And then it's just really refreshing reading through Acts, even though even when reading the Old Testament, I'm aware of God's promises. In Acts, it very specifically calls out where Paul and Peter are both saying, you know, this good news is not only for the Israelites, but it's for all who will believe in the name of Jesus. And so that happens here, and then the, the book of Acts shifts, and it becomes a, a, really a story about Paul. Right and his missions and really you know a, a lot but the remain, most of the remainder of the New Testament is his letters to these churches that he starts in his three missionary journeys. All right, and so he does a missionary journey. He comes back, meets with the elders at the church. That's when they say, "Yep, here's Gentiles are definitely in." And then he does a couple more missionary journeys. Well, that's where this story picks up. So it's a lot of prelude, but we're we're kind of at uh, getting deep into the New Testament. So in the third missionary journey, that red didn't come out very well, is where this story will start, all right? And if you'll click it, I'm just going to read it um, off the screen here, Ryan. Um, go ahead and go forward. We'll come back to this here in a minute. I got those out of order. So uh, it's Acts 19, 11 through 20, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, God gave the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had already touched the skin of Paul were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Now, the seven sons of Sceva, who was a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, <clears throat> the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended onto the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, and a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So Ryan, if you don't mind going back one slide. So here we are in Ephesus, which I, until this week, didn't really know where this was at, but it's, it's in Turkey on the border of Asia or in Asia there. Um, and to the right, the drum cage is kind of blocking it, but that's actually one of the theaters where Paul would, would speak when he would do, uh, when he was ministering uh, to the town of Ephesus. So he spent about two years in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, doing a lot of great stuff, and, um, and a lot of people were believing. And really what we see from this story here is that there's some young men, sons of Sceva, who uh, had basically seen the power of, of Paul, or the power of God through Paul. And they have, themselves are magicians or exorcists or what may have you, and they decide, well, you know, we, we want to try this one out. Maybe this will, will turn us a bigger profit, give us more power. Uh, and I'm just picturing the scene. I don't know how many scary movie fans here. Anybody like the scary movie? Yeah, yeah Amy, I love scary movies. Um, so there's plenty of scary movies that you could probably depict in your head of what this scene was like. Uh, one translation says the seven sons of Sceva. Another said it makes it seem to imply there was a couple of them. But it was more than one person was in this room this demon-possessed man, and then they throw out Jesus and Paul's name with no relationship whatsoever uh, with Jesus. Uh, and 
I'm just picturing, again, I'm just I'm stretching here, but this demon-possessed man probably spoke a little bit differently now that the, the demon is speaking audibly through him, basically saying, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you. Now, if I'm those kids, those young men, that's got to be pretty scary right there. And then the fact that one man, let's say there were seven of them, is able to come and, and do the things that it talks about, beat them, and they end up running away badly hurt and naked through the street, uh, that's a pretty pretty big deal, pretty uh, uh, one. And so it's no surprise that throughout all the land, uh, the Bible says that, that this story was heard and a great fear fell. And what did it cause? <clears throat> it caused a repentance, right? Now, Ephesus, as I was reading about it, it was a city center that was known for black magic and superstition and sorcery. It was, uh, they had the temple of Artemis there, so they're very big into uh, the worship of Greek gods, as were a lot of the areas. And so uh, it said that this event had such an impact. I mean, keep in mind, there was no apostle, disciple involved whatsoever in this event. So, it, so just the act of God and because of the ministry that Paul had already had in that place, millions of dollars worth of these books and uh, incantations and spells and other uh, objects of magic were burned as a sign of repentance. It said a great many people believed. And so we read this story, and it's really no different than we've seen God work throughout all of time, right? He did miracles in Egypt when, through Moses when he was trying to free the slaves. He did miracles in the wilderness with the, when he had manna come down from heaven and the walls of Jericho. I mean, every story we hear in the Old Testament, there's miracles which are basically God saying, look, you know, I am who I'm saying. I'm not like all these other gods of the times. Right, we've seen God work this way in the New Testament. When Jesus began his ministry, right, he turned water into wine at a wedding feast, right? And then throughout his ministry, the signs that he did uh, were ways that people were like, this is not just another person claiming to be the Messiah, right? This is person, someone of substance, someone who has true power and who speaks with true power. And then after he left, it's no surprise that the way he equipped his apostles who were to then carry on the message all the way to us today is he gave them great powers to be able to perform and get the attention of the people so they would hear the words of the gospel and then believe and they themselves go make uh, believers. Uh, and so that's, you know, if you keep reading Acts, you'll see Paul raises someone from the dead that he puts to sleep while giving a sermon. thought that was a, <clears throat> a good one, and I hope to not do that to you today. But the guy falls asleep, falls three stories, and he raises him from the dead. But uh, there's a lot of that that continues to go on through the book of Acts. Acts is really, we could have done the whole series of strange stories just out of the book of Acts. Uh, but what I wanted to do today was, was take a look at this story from a different perspective, from the perspective of motives. So if you look at the sons of Sceva, all right, so it's said that these, these sons, they were sons of a Jewish high priest, right? So they weren't like worshipers of Artemis, you know, heathens, Gentiles, Greeks, right? These were folks that in that day and time, you could argue were the preacher's kids, Right? Or maybe not the preachers, because you could, they were our teens <clears throat> at church every Sunday. And I'm stretching here, and I'm not trying to say this is in the Bible, the Bible but, but I think the, the perspective and the point is more important than the details, so, so take it as such. But so the sons of Sceva are sons of a Jewish high priest, so likely in their place, it wouldn't be a big stretch that they would be thought of uh, as good people doing the right things of the day, young men, potentially youth. Um, and so we look at it, and we look at what they were doing. What they were doing was not actually a bad thing, right? Someone's hurt, someone's sick, someone's possessed, and you want to free them, take that burden from them. That's not a bad thing, 
right? It wasn't like they were stealing, right? They weren't murdering, right? You could go through this. They were actually, the act that they were trying to accomplish was a good thing. But if you step back and look at this, you know, it, it, the motivations, their motivations behind it, if we look back at the text, it says they were making a living going around um, freeing people of demons and other magic, magic, witchcraft, whatever, have it in there. Their motivation wasn't just to extol the name of Lord, have it be exalted, and it certainly doesn't seem to even be, let me make this person's life better, but it was really about a profit that they had there, uh, and really at the root of it was their lack of relationship with Jesus. We hear the, the demon that's inside this man say, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? All right, and, and so that just, uh, as I was praying about this week, it just kind of, it hit me, both personally for my kids, for the seniors we teach, for all of us, it might be um, the piece out of this that the Lord would have us take away here is really why is it that we do the good things that we do? Uh, so you go to the next slide, Ryan. There's a lot of good things out there. Click it one more time and it'll build. And I just put a few here that our kids, our teens, as well as us, will do from going to Collide, going to summer events, praying before a meal or a game or an event, right? We go to a worship service, participate in first serves, go on mission trip, uh, serve in the community. Uh, oh, no, no, I won't read all of these things, but there's a lot of good things. And you probably, like me, encourage your kids to be involved in these things. Uh, and, and you yourself are involved in things uh, like this. Uh, but I always, as I'm sitting and trying to analyze things like this, read a book, I mentioned this last time, uh, it's called The Screwtape Letters, The Screwtape Diary, I think Screwtape Letters. Anybody read that or heard of that book? Um, so ever since I, I mentioned this again, sorry for those of you who were here in July, but ever since I've read that, it's changed the way I start to, to look at things because it's a book by C.S. Lewis, right? He wrote The Lion, Witch, and Road Robe, as well as many other great books. And it basically, it's a fictional book about how demons, tempters, look to rob us of the joy that the Lord for have, would have for us, how they look to distract us from chasing Jesus and the path that he would have for us. And so as I was looking at this, it actually brought me back uh, in thinking about my own life as a youth. I'm cursed with this really good memory of things a long time ago, but if you ask Amy, I have a terrible memory <laughs> of things we talked about the day before, the week before. But I can remember very vividly um, parts of my youth. I grew up in this church uh, I grew up in this back when it was Main Street Baptist back in, what was it, 82, 83? I don't know. Scott, when did we move over here? Do you remember? This, yeah, so both he and I and several others, other you I'm sure here, we've been, been here forever. And I was, um, uh, thanks to the leadership of some that had come before me, I was very active in the youth group. I was on a youth council, seventh grade. Um, like first year in the youth group. Back then we didn't have middle school. We had junior high. So seventh grade, I was in youth council. I went on all the trips. Um, led some friends to Christ. I was at the first CU at the pole at the junior high, which is now Tippett. Me and Chris Allman represented the first time. They, did they still do CU at the pole here? Uh, yeah, so I, I thought they So, I mean, and I'm saying that not to brag because I'll, I'll say the other part in a minute. I'm saying all that to say, man, I, my, my parents and the church, they instructed me really well and they pushed me in uh, to do these things. I went on choir tours. Anyways, I go on the list. I had the, per the I don't say the perfect, but I had the quintessential Baptist upbringing, and I loved it. I don't begrudge it at all, but um, to no one's fault but my own, um, when I, I, I don't know exactly when it happened because the enemy is very cunning, but at some point, I quit doing those things out of a love for Jesus, 
and a desire to see other people knowing him. And I started doing those things because I was praised, right? My parents were happy. I got more freedoms, less experiences uh, if I was doing the church things. It was even cool because I was in such a Christian circle that it was cool to be the Christian, right, when I was, was here. And, and even my friends who were not active believers, this youth group was big enough in the town and the town was small enough that I really never experienced a lot of persecution. The extent of my persecution for following Jesus uh, in high school was really, oh, I didn't get invited to a few things, right? Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't I, I didn't really have a big price to pay. But at some point in there, what really happened is the focus of my heart and why I was doing the things I was doing was gone. So I was still doing these things. I can still remember, actually, there's a lady who's in our senior adult ministry now, but I went and did an after-school club with her my junior year. And she was like, it was every Thursday with these kids in an apartment complex, and she would praise me every Thursday. Little did she know, I was doing community service for a speeding ticket, right? And that's why I was really doing that. Now, when I was there, I was all in with those kids, but I mean, that's really why I was there. But I, and maybe that's maybe where it started to turn. And I bring this up, and I tell my own story. I mean, in the end, God it has a great story of redemption. I can see how he's, he's chasing me throughout. But there was some time in there where all of a sudden I started liking the praise and the praise being determined, was this a successful, should I have done this? It was the praise or the reward, not was God happy? Because we know that when you're following God, not everything ends with praise or reward or success from worldly eyes, right? Because he's outside of time. Uh, and so, as you might imagine, I left here. It was probably, I guess it was right at in May of my senior year uh, where I could just say I officially jumped over the edge uh, and lived a life that you would have never known I was a believer, Right, just it was like, all right, I've run the race. I felt like the race was done. I guess in my head, again, I, I really don't. Looking back, it's not totally clear to me how I was deceived, but I was, and and I jumped right into it. And so I went into college. Uh, I went to a church once. Never donned the door of a foot of a church for maybe three more years. Um, of course, was not living the life that God would have me to. So much so that my RA in my dorm, I remember, came to me and took me to lunch. I'm like, oh, cool, dude. He's taking me to lunch. We went to Freebirds and we we're eating a burrito. And then, bam, he shares the gospel with me. I'm like, what? Dude, I'm like, no, I'm a believer. And then, dude, I mean, looking back at this, I chuckle and I didn't get to meet him uh, again and ever. He's never seen this side of, of, of what he did there. You know, great story for you. Plant a seed, you don't see it harvest. But I remember he's like, oh yeah. And, and he kept pressing on me, just like we might someone else who, who is a uh, Christian by heritage, right? You know, you're like, well, yeah, but if you ever had that point where you personally accepted Jesus, you agreed with him about your sinfulness and your need for him and him alone for salvation from your sins so you can have an eternity with him. And I'm like, yes. And I could tell you the Bible verse it comes from. And, and you tell him his eyes, he's like, but there's just no way you're a believer because uh, he lived across the hall from me. And, and so he knew. He broke up a fight in my dorm room, right? I mean, this guy was, he knew. And, um, and so that was just a big wake-up call for me. And then by the grace of God, uh, through my wife, meeting my wife, girlfriend, family, there's a whole thing. It's not really about uh, that part of the testimony, but he did bring me back and brought me back to the church I grew up in with some of the people I grew up with. And it's a great blessing. But I say all that really just to get to our point here that, man, as parents of teens, whether they're sixth graders or 12th graders, um, man, we got to be fighting for the souls of our kids because on the outside, it can look so healthy. I looked super healthy. I mean, <laughs> I've always looked healthy, but, but I, I looked spiritually healthy out uh, uh, going through high school. 
Um, and, and my parents had no idea. I had no idea of how the, the enemy had so cunningly switched my affections from being pleasing Jesus and serving him because of what he's done for me to pleasing others and seeking approval because of the community I lived in applauded that kid that would go against the grain, but not too much. And that kid that would speak up and be a little embarrassed, but not too embarrassed and would give his time, but not too much of his time. Um, and so really the challenge here, when it, uh, that I, looking back and that I was thinking, well, how do I help my kids navigate through this and try and avoid this potential attack from the enemy to rob them of, of the joy that the Lord has in store for them. Well, why, why do we do the things we do? Or even for us as we get into our discussion, why, why do your kids do the things, the good things that they do? Don't, don't ever apply this question to the bad things. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you ever figure that out. But, but for these good things, why, why, do, why do we do that? Is it acceptance, praise, or some kind of personal game, some manipulation? Is it obligation or guilt, right? It's a big driver. My, uh, my daughter, who I love dearly, but it, my wife and I have to be very cautious and careful because she has such an affection for us that, um, that it's very dangerous for her if she's doing the things she does because she's an excellent girl, but if she's doing them just to please mom and dad, which she would. And we could, we could get her to behave and, and build a great church resume very easily if we just, if we just leveraged that guilt, uh, which is so powerful. Um, avoid consequences. Is it habit or superstition? Uh, like, oh, if I go to church, good things will happen. Hey, I better go to Collide today because I have a big test coming up, right? Is that, is that really the motivation behind these? Uh, or is it really the relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, and I think as we... So we step back, and if we start to try and put that lens on how we raise our kids and, and, how, and how we are ourselves, then I think it can be a very um, powerful weapon against the enemy who will try and rob our, our children, who have their eternity sealed, right? Sealed with their relationship with Jesus. But just like in my case, wants to rob them of so many years of joy that they could have following him and being part of what he's going to do. So I say that, uh, two slides here, Ryan. Um, as, as we draw it up here and we get in, we'll have a little bit of time for discussion. I was trying to think about um, what I would practically do personally uh, and, then, and then bring that here for us today. And so the first one really is it's about personal relationship, right? It's absolutely, I think, the way that we would totally fail here, you can go ahead and build it, Ryan, is uh, if we tried to start this and, and say, all right, every time our teen or every time we feel motivated, let's stay with the teen, every time our teen says, all right, I'm going to go to Clyde. Why are you going to Clyde? Is it because you love Jesus or because your friends are going? Is there a pretty girl there? Is there, you, know, what, you know, that's obviously the extreme we do not want to go because, all right, God uses the, uh, all sorts of things to get people present so they can hear his word and, and be part of the community. So it's not saying that if they don't have the right motivation, we should discourage them or we should create any kind of uh, uh, friction that would stop them from doing that, but, uh, but rather to always be diligently fo focused both personally and on our kids' personal relationship with Jesus. And so in the seniors, one of the things we're really trying to be repetitive about this, this year in our class is these healthy habits. A habit, personal habits, so prayer, reading the Bible and worship, right? That's how we communicate with the Lord personally. And then community habits. But who do we have in our life that has access to our life and then has permission to speak into our life? Uh, and so we've been talking a lot with our seniors, and I find that I personally have to also be diligent to make sure that there's at least two or three guys in addition to my wife that I have complete access to my life uh, and that have permission to be in my life, to, to speak into my life without risk of hurting our friendship or, 
or getting repercussions or me wanting to throw back one of their faults because they pointed out one of mine. And if we do that, then the second thing really is then once we have these healthy habits of pursuing that relationship, then it's creating a practical habit of asking the questions. All right, so we talk a lot um, with the seniors as well about, hey, when you come here every week, uh, if the Lord wills it that you walk out changed like Paul, right, when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus, which turned him from a persecutor of Christians to the minister to all of us, right? If that great moment happens to you this Sunday, that's awesome. But a lot of the Sundays when you come here, you're just going to get a slight change in perspective, a slight adjustment uh, to the direction you're headed. And then we use the analogy, if you're driving down the road and every mile or so you recorrect so that you get back in your lane, right, then you can go hundreds and thousands of miles and be right on track. But if you never do those little adjustments 10, 20 miles down the road, you're off in a field or a river or a lake somewhere. And so a lot of times what we'll talk about is just don't look for those small perspective change, those little habits, and then look to apply them. And I feel like this week, at least what was on my heart, is it's one of those types of weeks uh, for me and maybe for you as well, which is, man, it's the habit of being intentional about asking the Lord in our quiet time. Not just, if you're like me, sometimes the, a prayer is in danger of becoming an incantation, right? I'm late for work or something. I'm like, but I got to pray. And I was like, All right, Lord, thank you. Love you so much. Thank you for sending Jesus. Please help me to honor you today. I mean, I can just go through it and just, and then I have to stop myself and be like, that's not a prayer. That, there, was, there's, there was no, no relationship with that, uh, right? And so similarly, I think there's putting into that prayer time that you have with the Lord saying, hey, you know what, Lord, could you, through your Holy Spirit, convict me where are my motives wrong? Where are my intentions wrong? Because, you know, only God can change our hearts, right? And so this is not one of those brute force kind of things. There's no amount of talking to our teens or no amount of talking to ourselves that's going to be able to change our hearts. We know that, but Jesus, when we have a relationship with him, can change our hearts. And so the, the healthy habit for those of us, a relationship with Jesus can just be, in addition to times of confession and praying for others and all the other things that you put in, in your prayer time, Putting a time in there where we say, Lord, can you examine my heart and the motivations of my good thing? Let me confess the good things that I do. Let me put them on the altar here and you tell me which of these are actually good, right? And which of these do I need to ask your forgiveness for my bad intentions, much like me on Thursdays at that backyard Bible school, right? I was there. I was having fun on the outside. I was great. Those kids loved me. But on the inside, I was like, how many more hours of community service do I have? And what am I going to say to get out of this? So I don't have to come back, but I don't look bad, right? And let those times be brought to our, our face. And then we just, we ask the Lord to change our hearts uh, and, to, and to change our position, our posture towards those things. Um, and so with that, I guess there's a few questions here. If you want to want to get to those, Ryan, we have about 10, 15 minutes uh, for discussion, and I just really want to let you guys know, Wednesday I'll be speaking at uh, Collide, and it'll be mostly, like always, uh, the similar discussion we have here, but we'll be digging in a little more detail to what are things, when you're in middle school and high school, what are these things, how can we, how can we have a mentor, how can we have good habits of allowing the Lord to speak to our heart about these things, uh, and so one other challenge that's not on here that I'd just like to offer out to you as partners in this youth group is um, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, whenever you guys have a chance to sit down in a family and talk, um, whatever comes from your discussion today, uh, broaden this discussion with your teens at home 
Uh, and I think really one of the questions you'll see on there is what are we doing to try and encourage our teens uh, to be, have earnest intentions to seek the right intentions for doing good things and not doing good things for the wrong reasons? Uh, one of those ways can be to have conversations that aren't, you're doing it wrong, but they're just questions. Questions with no response. One of the ones I plan to apply to my kids is like, hey, uh, you know, Allie Joe, why, Colton, why, why did you, why'd you guys do that? That was awesome. Well, you know, what, what, what drew you to go to Camp Collide? What drew you to go to Collide Impact Sunday? Why did you do that? Right, and if they say things like, well, my friends are there and you guys were going to be there. I didn't want to be home alone. Right, then that can open up a conversation, not a scolding or a correction, right? They say, well, we just, you know, I love seeing people happy. Something my daughter would probably say. And they say, well, why do you like seeing people happy? Right, I want to get at the root of it. She's going to say, because it makes me feel good. Or is going to say, what, you know, or is, is really, we like to help people because we're being Jesus' hands and feet, right? And so really looking to take what comes from your discussion here, whatever the Lord may put on your heart and on your teen's heart on Wednesday, and use that to just create a, a slight change in the way we are strategic about the spiritual lives of our kids in helping them to consider, because there's no way we can project or enforce on them their motivations for the good things. We could get them there, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. My kids are going to be there, <laughs> right? But, but the motives, God's got to do, and all we can do is encourage. I had one pastor say, all you can do is put kindling around the fire and then when that spark hits, right, all that kindling that we've put, and when the Lord gets a hold of their heart, man, then, then the flame goes and we get to experience the joy or the warmth of that that we were participating in versus rubbing a stick that's never going to actually start a fire because that's only, only something Jesus could do. All right, well, thank you guys. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll have a few minutes for discussion here.